Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 171 today. We're going to be talking about breathwork and entheogens with our guest Ben Holt. Uh, ben is a breathwork expert and enthusiast. He does retreats. Uh, he's a filmmaker, musician, and uh, he has a good knowledge of entheogens and psychedelics. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And you can check out his website, Connect and Evolve. I have the link down below. And you can also check out his Instagram, which I also have the link down below the video. Uh, if you have not already, head on over to indrasweb.org. Uh, Indra's Web, if you don't know what it is, is the app that we created for rational discourse on all these topics, whether it be ancient civilizations, ancient psychedelic use, psychedelic use, um, UFOs, any type of fringe or hypothesis or theory like that. This is the place to discuss that. So go check that out. That'll be going live very shortly. So sign up and you will get an alert. Then head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast. Uh, it is linked up with our Discord now. Uh, we do have a lot of people chatting on there on our Discord. It's it's getting bigger but in bigger slowly. I wish there was some more people on there. So if you, you are on Discord, check it out. Uh, we're trying to get some good chats going on there. Uh, and for $2 a month, you can become a Mind Escapee where we have exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, we are going to do one with Ben at the end where he's going to teach us some breathing exercises, which I'm really excited for because I'm already out of breath as I speak. Um, and yeah, so head on over there. And uh, we've got lots of, we got a Randall Carlson one on there, Sean Cahill, uh, Laird Scranton, Dr. Gregory Little. They're all up there. So go check it out. And uh, yeah. Without further ado, what's going on, Ben? How are you? What's up, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. This is uh, right up our alley. We were just chatting a little bit before we went live, and we're into the same kind of music and, you know, psychedelics and, uh, you know, you name it. The only thing I'm not into yet, which I think I want to get into, is breath work. So mm. why don't you give us a little bit of the background of how you got into this, what you're doing with it all right now, and we'll mm. kind of go from there. Yeah, I got introduced to kind of the whole world of kind of alternative wellness um, about four years ago, whenever I first did ayahuasca. Um, sat with ayahuasca after spending a year at my first job out of school, which was a, an incredible job, an amazing opportunity. I made a bunch of money. And uh, growing up in Louisiana, uh, I, I believed that that was the primary objective in life was to make a lot of money and uh, after one year I learned that that wasn't so and so I uh, went off traveling decided to drop everything and kind of search for that primary objective in life and didn't discover it until I had a very profound moment in the jungles of Costa Rica uh, whenever I had a very powerful experience with myself and with some taitas and curanderos in Costa Rica, uh, drinking ayahuasca, connecting with that plant and connecting with the spirit, connecting with the practice 
of the shamanism with these taitas, um, just discovered something much greater than myself. And since then, uh, it's been this kind of frantic search for all of the modalities that can help aid the process of entheogens such as ayahuasca. So breath work, yoga, meditation, sound healing, um, you name it. There's so many. There's, you know, cranial sacral therapy, acupuncture, all these naturopathic uh, modalities. And the ones that have called the most to me are breath work, um, yoga, meditation, because they go so extremely well with the entheogens that we've been working with at the retreats, um, one-on-one with different groups. Uh, being able to pair it all together has been kind of this underlying mission that I didn't even know was happening. But since we've been doing this with the retreats, um, it's just been clear as day that this is, has been the journey the entire time is combining breathwork, yoga, meditation, sound healing with these different entheogens and entheogenic experiences. And so I, I was going to ask you, um, so, so was ayahuasca your first experience that was it your first psychedelic experience and if not was it your first serious psychedelic experience i would say that it was my first serious psychedelic experience it wasn't my first psychedelic experience i had an experience with lsd uh, when i was younger in college and it was amazing an incredible experience which really opened my eyes to a lot but after that took three years of of not really working with psychedelics and not knowing how to that's the thing not many people know how to create a proper set and setting with psychedelics. And so growing up being a kid, uh, I did it. And ayahuasca was the first time where I had that ceremonial experience, the experience with energy, the experience with shadow work, um, the experience with what is so hot today, what so many people are talking about today, um, was just kind of being discovered in, in our uh, culture at that time. And so that was my first experience with that type of work. And I find that through the working with the different modalities, um, that breath work is the most powerful modality for getting that direct access that we get whenever we have these deep, profound psychedelic experiences. The breath work is also the most utilitarian in the sense that it helps clear space and clear energy better than any other practice in my eyes and from my experience. Um, and that's why I use it so much, and that's why it's the main modality that we like to use at the retreats, and I like to use uh, in my own personal practice um, to really connect. Um, you have yoga for the body. I find that using asanas, yoga asanas, stretching and really opening the nadis and opening the body, and breath work, they pair perfectly together to clear the body, the mind, and, um, and yeah, paired with entheogens, is, it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So when you started doing all these different, you call modalities or different mm -hmm. exercises or techniques, um, do you find that the actual entheogen helps the other modalities work better in terms of, like, for instance, we've talked about it many times. I'm not going to go in mm -hmm. deep, but I have OCD and I've used psilocybin at times as like a reset mm -hmm. to allow the cbt or cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of do its mm -hmm. thing and allow to really get in there and do the work with that is it similar with like yoga and breathe breath work and all that kind of stuff 
Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that, you know, the the entheogenic experience that you would have at a retreat with a facilitator uh, is enhanced also by the modalities as well as those modalities being enhanced by the entheogenic experience. Uh, And we kind of create a flow whenever we create these retreat containers is a flow of kind of lifting the energy up, opening the heart, really heightening the energy. And then you can have a powerful entheogenic experience that can kind of, for lack of better terms, blow the lid off the top, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of really open up and really um, lift any traumas that's sitting in the body up to the surface to really uh, go and do the work. And from there, there's an integration process. So there'll be more grounding. Um, there'll be more grounding practices, such as grounding yoga or spending more time in nature, um, taking some meditations in nature, um, eating really grounding foods. Another thing that we like to focus on is the nutrition aspect. And that is another thing that really helps with everything in life, especially these wellness modalities. So if we're taking care of our body, putting really good food into the body, which is damn hard at holiday season, I tell you what, no matter where you live. (laughs) Yeah, I just ate about four cookies. uh... (laughs) Yeah, you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, good food, right? I actually didn't even have, I had a... um... A New York strip steak and some salad, some Caesar salad, and I it wipe, yeah. even that wiped me out. I was like zonked out after. Yeah, man, it happens, it happens, and so yeah, the 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 food and that's a great example. We want to eat something like a strip steak and a salad after we have that experience, and we're in the integration process of the experience. Um, while before, you may want to have some juice, some fruit. Uh, something light uh, before ceremony, before the modalities, so that you're uh, you're able to connect better when you're lighter, and you're able to come back into the body when you're heavier. What about fasting in regards mm-hmm. to all this? Because, I mean, if you're having a psilocybin experience, I found that if I didn't eat anything that day, it's more intense, more profound. Um, you know, there's more to it. Maybe throwing a little citrus in the tea too, and some cacao mm-hmm. chips, chewing on those too. You get get all the transmitters going. Yeah, I think fasting is amazing. I love how fasting's making just this epic comeback. You know, from like, and it also is a, a huge indicator of how far we've come and how abundant our civilization is. Is that we've come so far that we're now not eating for the health benefits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's in, it's necessary 100% for uh, the medicine that we work with, the 5-MeO-DMT. Um, you, you kind of have to fast before you do that medicine because it's so powerful, the uh, experience that you can purge. Um, and the same with mushrooms, the same with LSD. Right. Uh, I find that anytime fasting, man, if you can do a 48-hour fast and then have an entheogenic experience, it's amazing. Mm. It's it's definitely worth the uh, sacrificing lunch and dinner for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I I do feel better when I, if I don't eat all day or something. I feel mm-hmm. even like more like I want to get up and do something too. It's not like oh, I haven't eaten. I'm sluggish. It's quite the opposite. So yeah, absolutely. And it, even if you just uh, for example, during the day I have like water with Himalayan pink sea salt in the morning. And then I might have a little bit of organic coffee with coconut oil and I'm not hungry till 2 PM, you know, but if I eat like a, a like a gluten-free pancake, even at 10 o'clock in the morning, then I'm hungry all day. And that glucose kicks in and you're just kind of just chasing after the, uh, the sugar high mm. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. 
I'm very guilty of that. <laughs> so when you do these retreats, um, uh-huh. is there is are the retreats dedicated to like one thing, or are there multiple things going on? Like like walk us through uh, how one of these things go. Absolutely. So all the retreats that we do are kind of different. Uh, they all kind of have the same premise, um, and they all kind of have a different name. And so um, each retreat is unique, and that being we kind of decide on what's needed for the energy of the group. And so the number one thing, the most important thing, is the creation of the container of whenever people come in. And so just getting everybody connected, having everybody just kind of let their walls down and just shake out and breathe out the stress of even traveling to the destination is first and foremost. Getting to know people beforehand, first and foremost. Allowing for those people to be able to connect in a chat and kind of start to become a tribe before they even get to the retreat. That's what takes place first. Um, And so just coming together, you know, playing like children, coming together, having this, uh, this unified intention of growth and healing and knowing that when they're in that space, that there's no judgment and that they are able to express themselves in any way they need to. So whenever you be, the participant begins to really feel that, it kind of just lets the walls down and opens the, they become open to receiving what happens at the retreat. Because if somebody's closed off to what's going to happen at the retreat, nothing is going to take place uh, for them. So from there, uh, getting into more of the modality training, after doing a couple of heart opening uh, experiences and workshops, we start going into breath work, start going into some more intense yoga flows to kind of push people a little bit out of their comfort zone, but also knowing that they have support from everybody in the group and they have support from their facilitators. Um, and then from there, a lot of times we have entheogenic experiences in our retreats. Uh, we do a lot of our retreats in Mexico, Canada, and other parts of the world as well. And so we're able to utilize entheogens at our retreats, which is beautiful. We're able to um, facilitate that. And once that happens, it's kind of this climax of the experience where everybody gets to connect and hold space for one another. Depending on what type of medicine you use, Mm -hmm. um, everybody still gets to connect with themselves, each other hold space for one for one another, see them and be seen. And this vulnerability, this radical vulnerability really opens up and expands someone's consciousness and someone's heart, um, which just automatically creates profound change within that person without even needing an intention, right? Mm. Um, and then from there, back into the practices um, and basically what the premise is is to not just have someone come to the retreat um, have this experience and go about their merry way not having tools in their toolbox to maintain their practice when they go home so what um, we set an intention to do is to uh, equip them with the same modalities that we're using at the retreat with information with practices that are online that they can go to in links um, and practice at any time at home. Also with audiobooks, um, books, uh, YouTube playlist recommendations, podcast recommendations, so that they can carry that energy that they experience at the retreat back home with them. Because it's very challenging for someone to go from such an immersive, ego-dissolving, heart-exploding experience back to home where they could be facing the same exact 
bullshit that they were facing whenever they came to the retreat in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just having the tools to make sure that they are able to stay at peace, present, and um, abundant in their lives and have that feeling experientially uh, post-retreat. That sounds awesome. Um, and I've seen some of your videos. It looks like everybody's is hanging out, having a good time, and mm-hmm. some of that stuff's well-made. And, uh, yeah, you can check out, uh, uh, again, go down to the link onto his website, and he's got all the videos and clips and everything up there. Um, do yeah, you... we're working on adding some more stuff right now. There's so many... It's just hard drives. <laughs> okay. Stuff. Well, that's good though, right? You got yeah, more content great. to put out there for people to discover. Yes. I think. Um, yes. So, when you look at like the entheogen side of things, like how do you, how do you keep things in check? Like how do you prevent it from becoming like one of those? You know, you've seen them on the internet, the scary five meo or bufo videos where they're doing crazy shit. You know. Yeah, man. I think it's um, you know. I've, I've worked a good bit with this particular medicine and um, we found different ways to help people to relax their nervous system really deeply uh, before their experience. And oftentimes what you see uh, with this is a more relaxed experience. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of videos out there, people having really radical catharsis and whenever you don't have the knowledge of what a catharsis is, and then seeing that can be super gnarly and very deterring from the experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think just saying what a catharsis is, uh, is important. You know, catharsis is what someone experiences whenever they do this medicine is a huge energetic release. And the greatest way to have an energetic release, uh, the two best ways are through movement and through the voice, through expression, through screaming. And so, I mean, that's why I feel so good to scream and punch into a pillow. It's a huge energetic release. And for some reason, human beings, we don't naturally innately do this. This is often, um, you see it all the time with dogs that are shaking um, or, you know, and in, in barking. Dogs are a perfect example of releasing energy all the time. Humans, we box it up. <laughs> you know, we keep right. it yeah, we definitely, tightly bound. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so oftentimes whenever you have that medicine, somebody that has all this energy, all this trauma, all of this tenseness bound up in their body, they just go straight to the Godhead and the body does exactly what it needs to do to heal. Um, and it's very interesting because, um, and we're going more into catharsis, but the prefrontal cortex, our logical thinking part of our mind, is always active. We're in waking consciousness. Uh, whenever we do something like bufalvarius or 5-MeO-DMT or a deep entheogenic experience, the prefrontal mind tur- uh, cortex turns off. And this mm-hmm. is also known as an ego death or losing sight of yourself because this is what we know as ourself is what the prefrontal cortex is constantly experiencing. We're experiencing with that. So when it turns off, we lose the self. Once we lose the self, this happens in breath work as well. The body goes into a natural state of healing. And so when the body goes into a natural state of healing, what are the two greatest ways to release energy? Through the voice and through movement. So when you see those gnarly videos, all you're seeing is a profound healing effect. And I've had many friends who have had this really powerful physical reaction, and you ask them what it's like, and uh, they'll tell you that they're floating backwards falling through clouds of gelatin and it's the most blissful peaceful experience they've ever had right uh while it looks like they're going to war with the armies of darkness so um 
it's something to keep in mind. It's something to remember. We personally do not film any Bufo Alvarez experiences because of the sensitivity and the profoundness of that right. experience. Well, you see a lot of the negative, like there's a couple that are floating around where I don't know the, I don't want to speak harshly of anybody, but if you know what I'm talking about and people that research it, I'm sure I've seen those videos that are floating around all the forums of the guy pouring water, you know? Yeah. This is, that'd, be, that'd be Octavio Reddick, <clears throat> Dr. Octavio Reddick. And, um, he's this really interesting, uh, guy. He's, he was very prolific in the community and still has a following today. Uh, but there's two kind of old Testament characters in the Buffalo various space, and that's Octavio Reddick and Dr. Jerry. Um, and both of these guys have kind of been ostracized from the community and uh, for good reason. Um, and that's all we need to say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this medicine is very unique in the sense that there was no rule book. There was no codex on this before uh, a decade ago. And so the reason being is because we're not there's no you know definite proof of ancestral use of this medicine um it's very new in that regard and so what you're seeing is the adolescence of this medicine you being used and with that you're going to have malpractice and people um neglecting um what this medicine really shows you and really allows you to experience and that is love pure love compassion uh and many could argue that that's also god and so um one thing to really keep in mind if you're interested in this medicine is to find the right facilitator to find a good facilitator that has a good track record that people know of that you know hasn't done anything that's that's borderline malpractice that people mm. know of and and find a good scenario and find a good really you know professional space to do it in. and that's why we've created the retreats you know we used to serve people uh, my mentors would serve people that many people know uh serve people and then that was it good mm. luck you know because they didn't yeah. know there was no integration process or anything like that and then with the retreat you can curate the integration process for the participant yeah, and I know uh, we've had Tom Lane on the podcast more than a few times who wrote the book uh, Sacred Mushroom Rituals, A Quest for the Blood of Quetzalcoatl and his journey doing ceremonies with Maria Sabina and that whole thing. And he's old school and so you know, epic. he's uh, pretty, man. He's, yeah. pre- he's pretty um, hesitant about the Bufo stuff too. He's not necessarily mm-hmm. against it, but it's like you said, there's no... It's a newer thing, and I think actually mm-hmm. Hamilton Morris did a really good episode of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia on it, where mm-hmm. he tracked down the first guy to, you know, acknowledge that this was a thing, which was I think it was Al Al Most or Albert Most, who he was like a, you know, doing weird things with toads and frogs and stuff, and he accidentally secreted <laughs> it on his f- finger and touched a cigarette and then lit it up and had a crazy experience. <laughs> At least that's the story. So I mean, who really yeah. knows? Right, and so who really knows? Indeed, that was in the eighties too, I believe. So that's not that long ago. Right, because as you say this, I actually saw Hamilton at in two thousand nineteen at WBAC, which is the World Bufo Alliance Conference, and interviewed him. And he was telling me that actually Albert Most was a fake, and he's actually oh. making a second episode, um, kind of taking back what he was. His, um, you know, he was served by Dr. Jerry, this gentleman we were speaking of earlier. Um, and so he's kind of saying, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Right. Um, 
you know, this practitioner is committing malpractice. And that wasn't Albert Most because he's so he's. Uh, I don't know if it's in production right now, but yeah, that's it's what season three is coming out there. in January, I believe. Yeah, I think it's going to be. It looks intense. I don't know. It looked like some yeah. of it looked Breaking Badish too. So I don't know where it's going <laughs> with some. Watch out! Yeah. Spoiler alert! Yeah, yeah. Albert Most is a phony. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's like, look, that's why we do this podcast. It's good to talk about this kind of stuff because I mean, we've yeah. talked about it many times. That's one of the only entheogens and psychedelics we haven't done is DMT. And it's one that I'm not necessarily searching out. If it finds me, I'm, I'm down if, you know, but. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, I've worked with many different psychedelics and they're all amazing for expanding your consciousness. And when we expand our consciousness and we can just comprehend and experience things in a way that's, um, it's just more. It's more of the juice of life, you know. And so entheogens in, in all in many ways are are so beneficial for us. But there's something about 5-MeO-DMT and the Bufalvarius venom that is very uniquely designed to be extraordinarily therapeutic in the same way that ibogaine um, really is incredibly therapeutic. Um the 5-MeO-DMT experience, I say, is, is probably the absolute best thing that you can do, the most efficient thing you can do for trauma and ancestral trauma. So if you have experienced tons of trauma growing up as a kid and you are constantly affected by it, um, this medicine is incredible for clearing that. And I like to use a filter analogy. If we had a, a, a filter kind of our, our physical heart would be this filter, but a metaphysical filter. Mm. And that filter was full of crap, basically. <laughs> um, trauma from your childhood, detrimental memory, a, uh, a job that um, where you feel belittled and inferior all the time. You constantly have this crap in your filter, and your energy is flowing through that. And so all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your considerations, all of your feelings are going to be tainted by this crap in your filter. Mm. And so what the 5-MeO-DMT does is when you have that experience, it's kind of like taking a pressure washer and just and just completely blasting it all off of the filter. Mm. Um, and, and that's where people come back from that medicine. They say, oh, God, it's like I can finally breathe. I feel so light. I feel so light. And so it's, it's, a, it's a surefire company cup emptier is what that medicine does and once you realize the the value of having an emptied cup then you realize the value of that medicine because in the west we are always trying to put more in our basket we're trying to put more in our cup and really the first thing and to become better and the first thing we should do is forget fucking everything Mm -hmm. in order to become better because we're not going to be able to fill our cup with what we choose unless we empty it first yeah and that's kind of similar to like stan groff or stanislav groff's whole thing Mm -hmm. right between you know the whole i mean his was more like lsd related but Mm -hmm. i mean even when i've taken not even that high a dose of psilocybin i've had kind of like feelings of like trauma of going up growing up and just having different Mm -hmm. you know memories that i either didn't think about for a while or didn't even realize until that experience, you know, almost like Mm -hmm. I had one recently where it's like growing up, um, you're like in competition for like love, love from your family, love from, Mm -hmm. you know, your peers, love from school, you know, whatever it is, just, 
you know, love in, mm-hmm. um, you don't, that is kind of traumatic in a way having to compete for that. Right. It's just something that should come naturally. So I've had mm-hmm. kind of those thoughts, um, you know, actually the one experience, and that's why I call psychedelics sometimes, you know, obviously they're, you know, psychomo- psychomimetic and they reflect what you're feeling or what you've been mm-hmm. experiencing or researching or whatever it is. But it was right after I saw that Stanislav uh, Groff documentary is The Way of the Psychonaut. And mm-hmm. I had an experience after that where I was just kind of seeing these things. So, yeah, I, I think that there there is something there. And I think that we all have to uh, face our inner demons or old memories that kind of have an effect on us still to this day and all that kind of stuff absolutely and and this is the shadow work you know is is facing our shadows and understanding what that is and what that looks like and you know evolving through these stages of the shadow work evolving through these stages of the work as a whole um you know in in finding at the at the end of the day, it comes back to, you know, love and it comes back to even coming um, into contact with your shadow with love and even in coming into contact with death during an ayahuasca experience, which is very common, this experience of, oh, no, I'm dying. Once you give that love, then it opens up the experience and you're able to release uh, one more layer of sorts and evolve one more step along the way. It's it's fascinating. It's fascinating the way trauma works because um, doing this work, all I've seen is whenever we do these modalities and these practices and set these intentions, the trauma surfaces to the top. And so the trauma is very volatile while it's being released. It doesn't want to go. It's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, it, it's it's kind of sinks its claws before it can really leave. And as it rises to the top, um, almost foam rising to the top, uh, that's whenever you kind of get to the point to where you can skim it off mm. and kind of dismiss it. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's just a constant search for analogies right. of working with this stuff because it's so, you know, esoteric and invisible. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, how do you, so you, you know, we talked a little bit before, again, we're in similar things, same kind of mm-hmm. jam bands, fish, grateful Dead, you know, that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. how do you, how do you keep from becoming like, and I want, I want to put this like in a good way. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of like new agey kind of snake oil salesman mm-hmm. type things going on within this community. Mm-hmm. Um, and people make fun of it. I know a lot of people that are big into either the psychedelic community or different things that mm-hmm. not necessarily look down upon it, but it's just, it's not their thing. And I'm not necessarily talking about like the breathwork stuff for the retreats, but mm-hmm. just like the, all the extra stuff, if you know what I'm talking about. Like the fluff that's around. Yeah. Kind the of fluff everything. and yeah. you know, the like hot words. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. But just like. I don't know. Like I said, I've seen your, your video, some of your videos and it seems like you're trying to cultivate something where you're truly just trying to help people breathe or do yoga or do these retreats. But like, how do you prevent it from evolving into something else or how do you keep the, um, the lid on so it doesn't evolve into that on its own? You know, like that whole thing, like, do you think about that at all or sometimes? And I, I think, um, you know, and as, as, the platforms grow, right? We'll have to think about that more of, of representation. And I, I think that it really just comes down to being authentic and doing your best to stay in your integrity 
and remembering why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and the reason for me is because I know what I experienced when I experienced that, that just absolute bliss and peace and a new way of living, a new way of living in love with community and tribe and being connected to myself and being connected to others and having others hold space for me and hold space for them. This is a cohesive group, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it creates cohesion, which creates progress. Um, if all of humanity can experience this, then who knows what we'll evolve into mm -hmm. um, quickly, you know? Um, and so when I experienced that coming from you know, and sometimes not having water running in my house in, a, in the ghettos of Louisiana. Um, I really just knew that it was my mission in life to share it with others. And I believe that's why I experienced kind of the contrast. And I say ghetto in Louisiana. I grew up in a way that, that, was, that was beautiful because my mom would always make sure that I knew that um, – that we were okay. We were good. You know, I, she wanted me to have a good life. And so, but you know, the reality was growing up in, in this place and there's much worse places, but I experienced the denseness. I experienced the low vibration, uh, that low frequency that so many other people experience. And coming from there, I also experienced now the highest frequency and what it looks like to, to experience that frequency regularly. And seeing that contrast i want everyone to experience this and one of the hardest things to kind of come to grips with is it's not everybody's time mm. <laughs> that's one of the exactly. hardest things <laughs> so just opening the space for saying you know hey here it is when you're ready the right people come in the right people come in and we do our best when those right people come in to share what we what we can uh, with full authenticity and integrity and not try to box it up with fluff. If there's a team member that I see kind of using a lot of fluff, I mm -hmm. usually tell them to, hey, simplify. Because when we simplify, people can understand more efficiently. Right. And that's what this is all about, helping more people to understand, um, not trying to look cool. <laughs> I think it gets dicey, in my opinion, when um, Westerners or people that you know are from new york or whatever go down there and then they start calling themselves a shaman or a priestess or a priest or you know mm -hmm. whatever the case may be i think that's where it starts to get dicey it's like that's sure. not your culture um you're not an indigenous person and those mm -hmm. people um that's something that's been a, their tradition for a thousand thousands of, you know years or whatever mm -hmm. so i think that's where it gets dicey and i kind of agree with uh people that get mad at that stuff because i agree with it to a certain extent Absolutely. And, you know, I will say that there are Westerners that are um, unarguably, I know them, that are unarguably amazing facilitators of many different types of medicines. Mm. Um, and, they, and they do it all over the world. And they do it with uh, curanderos and taitas that are 10th generation, you know, mm. curanderos. Um, and for me, it's it's really like, Okay, well, what did they do in a past life? You know, because I believe in reincarnation. Um, and so my question is, what has your soul's journey been up to this moment? I'm not, I'm not judging you based on where you started in this life, but you know where you have been as your as a soul. Um, and I would say that I think it's really important as Westerners to 
<laughs> definitely not self-aggrandize with mm-hmm. facilitating medicine because it looks really, really bad, and you you immediately uh, get made fun of by the people who are doing it in in the right way. I mean, look, there's some people that oxymoronic. <laughs> yeah, like even you know we've just talked about Hamilton. Well, when Hamilton Morris in yeah. some of his episodes, he does he goes through all the training and does all the thing. He still wouldn't probably call, if you asked him, he wouldn't call himself that, but. They make Hamilton him like an honorary, you know, or something like that. But well, yeah, he's a little bit above the rest, you think? Right. <laughs> well, he's got the scientific knowledge behind what's happening, you know, which I think yeah. he he. That's what I like about a show is he'll participate in the ceremonies and the sacred aspects of it or whatever's mm-hmm. going on, but then he'll also try and understand the mechanisms and the science behind it too. He breaks it down fantastically. I mean, he he, as a chemist, he's. And, you know, with his father being this amazing documentarian, yeah. he's kind of the perfect storm for relaying this information to us, for sure. Yeah, my wife well, just like, made me... Like, Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, that's just like anything, though, is when you become a master, you start elevating to the higher levels, and you realize how small you actually are, and you also <laughs> kind of have more of a... You're more humble, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. The The more you know, the less you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, my wife just made me watch some true crime thing uh, with his dad. Uh, his dad produced it, Earl Morris. Um, Earl Morris, he's an amazing yeah. filmmaker. I forget what it was on. It was something, some crazy true crime thing that happened a, a long time ago. And I know he's into that whole, uh, you know, all the ancient, or not ancient, the, the 60s psychedelic stuff and all the, yeah, <laughs> like you mentioned, documentaries and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, So let's pivot here a little bit um what do you think about um for somebody like me like i mentioned before i'm a mouth breather i try not to be and i'm not ashamed to say it because i really want to change it but it's i don't know i have this i'm a big guy and i have this little like peanut nose and it's just tough to get it going you know and it's this time of year it's clogged you know like Mm -hmm. what's going on here like what should i be doing what what are some like tricks if you have any like how can i yeah get myself uh, breathing through my nose properly and breathing properly. Absolutely. So the first step I would say is unclog your nose. Um, and really, uh, whatever way works best for you after having... You need to get the I Dremel grew, out then. So Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up with a clogged nose as well in, yeah. in severe allergies, and I grew up with really bad asthma when I was a kid. Um, and a lot of times my either one side of my nose is clogged or the other. Uh, one great thing you can do is use a neti pot, which is basically this little thing you stick in your nose, you squeeze it, and it shoots water in and around and out the other side. And you can do this with like different types of salts. Um, and it's amazing because then you can breathe through your nose. You can also use a strip on your nose yeah. that opens it up. I thought about that, ordering a bunch of those. Yeah. So and so, opening your nose is numero uno. And the second part would be to tape your mouth shut at night. Mm. So a, Uh-oh. yeah, a single, <laughs> you can do it. You can wrap duct tape around your face like an idiot, like I did once, or you can have a single like postage stamp size piece of scotch tape, even put it over your lips, keeps your mouth closed at night. You'll have more profound dreams. You'll have deeper sleep. You'll have a more, uh, you'll feel more rested in the morning. It's incredible what mouth taping can do. What about my aunt's at, like a dentist and she was saying they make these mouth guards that like adjust your jaw so you can, it does it kind of on its own too. What about something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. So if people suffer from sleep apnea, 
um, then having a good mouth guard is is really solid. Um, but just the mouth taping, man. I mean, that's like a you know, way to save a thousand bucks from a mouth guard. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that though. I feel like I wouldn't end well. But um, you, you can do it, bro. Because if you need to, you can. If you're like, oh no, my mouth tape yeah. shut, you can. Yeah. You can just breathe through the sides if you feel like you need to catch a breath. Right. But doing it over time. Okay, so we get now we're we've got the nose clear. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the next thing? So uh, uh, the main thing with in the foundation that we like to use for breath work the um, and there is three pillars kind of to this. The first pillar, and I'll go ahead and uh, go over the breath work pillars. Number one is relaxing techniques. So techniques that are going to help you relax and become more meditative and become. Uh, you know, in a deeper state of peace and presence. Mm-hmm. Number two, second pillar is activation techniques. So more Wim Hof style, alkaline breath work, priming breath work, pranayama. And then pillar number three are freedom techniques that we use a lot at the retreats, which is transformational, sonic, neural, trauma releasing breath work. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go over those quickly because we're going to dive back into them. I could tell. Um, so the foundational practice with breath work for me is breathing into the belly and so whenever you breathing into the belly you're breathing deep into the diaphragm and the diaphragm is seen a lot of the times as a a we have a gut the gut as kind of the second brain in the, the west it's the first brain in the east the diaphragm is an instrumental part of that and so there is there is intelligence in the diaphragm and in the west a lot of us breathe through the mouth up right. in the chest and so we don't use it we lose it we lose connection with that part of the body and that's an instrumental part of the breath it's about 70 percent of where we want to breathe and the rest of the percent can be in the chest and in the head hmm. so a good solid foundational breath looks like this and you see i'm inhaling so it goes down it goes in your gut up through your diaphragm Exactly. So it goes, I, I breathe directly into the belly. So it's almost what they teach like singers and stuff. <sighs> yes, exactly. So you want to be breathing deep into your groin, deep into your belly, shooting the, the breath as deep as you can and through the nose. It's incredible the quality of oxygen and the ability to reduce CO2 you have with your nose compared to breathing through your mouth. Whenever you breathe through your nose, it filters the air. It heats the air. It's just a higher quality of oxygen. Also, whenever you breathe through your mouth, it associates with a lot of uh, uh, nasty things you don't want to be dealing with. Like it's the number one cause of cavities. Mm. Uh, it's the number one cause of nasal construction uh, 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 obstruction. Um, so if you're experiencing asthma, allergies and you're breathing through your mouth, the first thing you should do is do everything you can to stop breathing through your mouth. If you're experiencing stress or anxiety and you're breathing through your mouth, the first thing you want to do is stop breathing through your mouth. Ding, what ding, 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 yeah. ding, the nose. <laughs> I mean, that's, so, I, dude, I've, I mean, I have OCD, I have anxiety all day long, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's a... There was a good quote I heard the other day. If you're ever experiencing depression, it's because you're living in the past. And if you're ever experiencing anxiety, yep. it's because you're living in the future. Um, 
and so that helped. I was like, huh, that's a pretty good one. Helped me with uh, anxiety because I get anxious about the future as well sometimes. But whenever you do what's called, we'll use this foundation to do a foundational breath, which is simply breathing through the belly, chest, and head, holding it for three to four seconds, and then sighing it out. Mm-hmm. So using the voice again as an energetic release releasing tool um, with that breath and it looks like this so I took the breath dropped my shoulders sighed it out and so if you guys want to try this real quick we can sure sweet all right so you start by taking a nice deep breath in through the nose okay. deep into the belly so when you fill the belly chest Head all the way up, hold it at the top, drop the shoulders, sigh it out. Uh, Some real ASMR magic right there. And I'm and I'm healed, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And hard. <laughs> Perfect. It's it's multi-purpose. Yeah, um, that's a real game changer right there. Viagra. Yeah. But yeah, and you can feel it. You feel the difference immediately. Yeah. So there's been a lot of different case studies that have shown this to be the most powerful and efficient way to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Not meaning to say big words like that, but the parasympathetic and the sympathetic are the parts of your nervous system that are um, either contributing to rest and digest or feed and breed. Hmm. The very relaxed state of being, which we're supposed to be in most of the day, or fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Or, That's what uh, I, I think my amygdala is just running rampant all day long. I, you know, that's, uh, I mean, I've read all the books. I know all the the science. I read all the scientific papers when they come out regarding, you know, different anxiety and stress mm-hmm. and then all the new psychedelic studies out there and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wrote a blog on our, I've only done one, I'll do more, I keep saying it, but I, I'll write more. But the first one I wrote was about um, my OCD with psilocybin. And mm-hmm. the thing that I th- that really kind of got, I don't think, I, I don't know if it's like a, an imbalance thing as much as it is, it's almost like a like a thought loop thing. Like it's like mm-hmm. you're almost like addicted to thinking a certain way. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, it gets embedded more and more and more and more. So it's really hard to um, get out of that. But I've noticed even when I do, like today, I was, you know, knowing that we were going to do this, I started going like, mm-hmm. you know, taking deep breath. Like, you know, my wife was like, what the hell are you doing? I was just sitting there for like a half hour doing it. And and you, you get kind of high. Like I got kind of like a buzz from doing it. So, I mean, there's obviously something to that and I've done it on psilocybin too. Same thing. It kind of catapults Mm -hmm. you and then you get all yawny Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I mean, that's a whole different Mm -hmm. story. Yeah. And, and I want to come back to what you said. You said thought loop Mm -hmm. and I want to come back and reference the filter analogy um, and how whenever we have experiences, uh, belief systems, these neural connections in our subconscious mind that create belief systems, whenever we have that belief system, that is the taint in the filter. That is the, 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 the crap or the benefit in the mm-hmm. filter. And the energy flowing through, it really provide, it, it contributes to those thought loops. Right. And so clearing that space, man, can't recommend it enough and that's where pillar number three the freedom techniques uh the trauma release techniques that's what they're good for 
So that's does it matter if you breathe out of your mouth? Or are you supposed to breathe all through your nose unless you're going to do those sighs? Or so exactly. Um, that's a really good question. So anytime you're doing relaxing techniques, you want to be breathing through the nose. So when we have nodi shadna, which is just alternate alternating nostril, we're breathing through the nose. When we're doing foundational or yogi breath. Ujjayi breath, victorious breath, breathing through the nose. Whenever we breathe through the mouth, we're creating intentionally a stress response. And so that's what the mouth is so good for. Um, so whenever you're doing alkaline breath work or Wim Hof, you're using the mouth. Um, and a lot of the times this is also because you can just get more air with the mouth. You can... You can inhale much more and fill up the lungs more quickly. So if you need to do uh, more breaths more quickly, then it's an easier way to get in and out. Um, and it's also uh, what you use for the trauma release techniques is the mouth. Um, and that's because you're, called, you're creating a stress response once again. Um, and so there, when we're in normal resting state, whenever we are just relaxing throughout the day, working, doing anything, we want to be breathing through the nose and into the belly. Because if we're in rest and digest, we are so much more clear on our intentions, we're more focused, we're more relaxed, and we're more receptive, we're more loving. Whenever we are in a state of fight or flight, which vast majority of Westerners are. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not getting uh, chased by, you know, woolly mammoths and saber-toothed yeah. tigers and all sorts not of anymore. things. Yeah. Not anymore. It's, it's contributed through micro stressors. So you're constantly having ring, ding, ding, ling, ling. You know, mm-hmm. you're having all these different notifications. You're having all these different uh, appointments. You got to drop the kids off. You got to get the lunch made. You got to bup, 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 You got to be an entire, tri- entire tribal village on your own, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, because now we raise kids in a household. It's very different. Um, and so what this is doing is it's creating this fight or flight response bringing in the irony of this is um, fear is one of the main contributors to this so what's going on is it's bringing the blood from your gi tract your immune system and it's bringing it into your extremities so your arms and your legs so that you can defend yourself or run away obviously whenever you do this when you take the power source away from something the blood away from the immune system you're more compromised and you're more you have more susceptible to being sick uh, and getting sick also, whenever this happens, you're not clear. I, uh, I call it either harmony or disharmony, you know, and whenever we're in fight or flight, we're in disharmony. We are completely tunnel visioned uh, in a way that's not beneficial to our work, to our purpose, to our passions. Um, but it is a state that we can hack into so that whenever it happens naturally, we better understand it and we're able to better manage it. Um, And that's why you do the alkaline breath work and induce that fight or flight state so that whenever you get triggered out in public, you're more peaceful. Mm. Uh, Yeah. How, have you ever had a, like a endogenous psychedelic experience from doing any of these breath work exercises or anything like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Transformational breath work is, is very psychedelic. Very psychedelic. So Stanislav Grof is he designed uh, the rebirthing holotropic, and kind of from that uh, has spawned uh, multiple different types of breathwork practices. One of them being kind of transformational, connected breathing, shamanic, uh, 
shamanic, sonic neuro, whatever you really want to call it. It's basically where you breathe in a connected rhythmic motion, about 90% inhale, 90% exhale, and it creates this profound experience through the dissolving of the prefrontal cortex. Eventually, your prefrontal cortex relaxes, your default mode network shuts down, and your body kind of takes over, your intuition. And then immediately you see the intuitive, natural healer within everyone in the group because they start rubbing where they need healing and they start moving energy out like this and it's it's a beautiful thing to witness because it's around minute 12 10 to 15 minutes in hmm. uh it's kind of like clockwork you can bet on it happening and yeah it's, it happens to me all so, the time and what's going on somebody was commenting on the the uh, live feed what's mm-hmm. going on with the whole like ice bath thing and like the the frozen lakes and you know you see all these different yeah. Um, those techniques, like what's going on there? Yeah, man. So there's been so much research lately on cold exposure. I mean, you have Wim Hof and I have no idea how exhausted Wim Hof has been on this podcast because I, we haven't actually look, you're the first breath work. Um, you know, we've talked about meditation and psychedelics and all that kind of stuff a ton, but yeah, breath work is just, and the whole Wim Hof thing is just the whole, we haven't really touched on that at all. So have at it. Cool. So Wim Hof is this this Danish guy that lives in Poland, and uh, he's kind of notorious these days for helping complete strangers and noobs and being cold. Somebody can come straight from the desert uh, around L.A. Uh, to Poland and climb Mount Schnetzka, the highest uh, peak in Poland, in a blizzard uh, in their shorts and boots and nothing else. Nice. Um, yeah, and so uh, they call this guy the Ice Man for obvious reasons. Uh, he's broken tons of Guinness World Records, uh, one for submerging himself in ice for about six hours. Um, yeah, just a complete ice bath without his body temperature dropping and also running uh, across a desert, a marathon, 26 miles with no water mm. and 100-degree heat. Um, and so for years, everybody thought he was Superman and thought that he had these magical powers. And one day he just kind of came out and said, no, but you guys aren't living up to your fullest potential. Mm. He said, well, what do you use Wim? And he said, I use two things, my breath work and cold water. And so that's why you have this craze of people taking cold plunges, taking cold showers, because this guy's son has just exploded his father into popularity uh kind of as a business venture for him but whim has been true and authentic to himself and to his practice this entire time and so it really works and that's why people are really paying attention the cold water is is amazing what it does for you uh the main thing that that blows me away that the cold water does is lengthens your telomeres um and so telomeres are if you look at a, an aglet at the end of a shoestring. We've talked about telomeres in regards to like Brett Weinstein's study with uh, Jack's Labs mice and that whole perfect thing. So yeah, we've t- talked about that a little bit. So it lengthens the telomeres, right? And um, and amongst many other things. So it increases longevity. It boosts your immune system. It prepares you for a nefarious environment. So again. Same reason why we do the breath work when we get triggered in our environment, uh, we're more peaceful and we're more we're more present and we're less aggravated, we're mm-hmm. less pissed off, we're less low vibrational. Uh, same thing with the cold water. Um, it really helps to, for me, wake me up 
in the morning. I take a warm shower and then I take it cold and I'm up. I don't have to drink coffee. I don't have to r- walk around rubbing my fucking face with the mm. big afro on my head. I am awake and I'm ready to go. Um, and so it's just been this this beautiful blessing in my life. Um, I lived in Bali for six months recently. It sucked because I couldn't take any cold showers because it's mm. so damn hot there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, that compared combined with the breath work, um, they're just like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they just go great together. It's it's one of those things. <laughs> uh, Martin from the alchem- uh, the alchemical mind, excuse me, um, was talking about in our live chat. What's tumo or tumo? Is that it? So. So tumo breathing is the, um, and I'm trying to think of the lineage of the tumo breathing, but it's very similar to Wim Hof. It's um, these Tibetan monks, that's the lineage, Tibetan monks would use tumo breathing to heat their bodies. So they would raise their internal body temperature and external, and they would sit in snow, and as they would do this breathing, it would melt kind of a ring around the snow. Uh, and so it's not exactly the same. Different lineages have different practices for this, and um Practitioners usually always make modifications to the breath work um, to kind of fit what they want it to, what they need. Um, and so Tumo is, is similar to Wim Hof. It's a similar, it's a similar practice. It's a similar um, intention. Uh, it's just been remodeled, boxed up, and mm. you know, set up for capitalism. <clears throat> so I mean, have you done the the Wim Hof? the ice stuff a lot have you like uh partaken in a lot of that stuff or do you do that with your own retreats or yeah so it's kind of tough to do it at the retreats but um unless we're at uh our favorite retreat spot in the united states which is grace grove in cornville right outside of sedona okay. we've got a beautiful uh 25 acre property there and there's a river oak creek running on the property and so it is nice and cold and so yes on one of the days we like to do alkaline breath work and then a cold plunge depending on how cold it is right now there it's about 20 degrees so it's a little too intense for sure uh, uh just a random you know group <laughs> but a men's i retreat, love sedona sure. man that's yeah. one of my favorite well we love cold rivers i mean oh maybe yeah. okay so maurice and i go on this annual camping trip every year since we were five years old with like our cousins and our uncles and stuff like that that's awesome um kind of like a modern day coming of age or lucinian mystery type thing you know the lucinian mm-hmm. mystery coming via us when we got older mm-hmm. but um <laughs> when when you look at like i mean how cold do you think that river is maurice the manistee in michigan i don't know it's hard to i don't, I don't know well so anyways it's up north michigan somewhat near traverse city and uh there's even creeks that flow into it that are literally 33 degrees one of them was like the coldest fresh water creek in the what? area or something like that it's literally nice. it's you could stand in this thing and your your foot feels like a icicle within seconds but yeah um but yeah so the river i mean it's really cold i grew up swimming in in you know uh pools almost every single day and i loved yeah. you know 70 75 so i don't know how cold this is but it, it's pretty cold mm-hmm. yeah man i think i think and i was just listening to a podcast um uh, ben Greenfield, Ben Greenfield Fitness, he's amazing, and he 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 has an incredible podcast, and he is such a freaking Pandora's box of knowledge. Mm. Um, 
I was listening to a podcast with him and he was just talking about the benefits of cold exposure and um, what it can do for you. And it's just insane how vast it is. Give me uh, 10 seconds. I'm going to plug my computer in really quickly. Sure. No problem. Maurice and I got this. Yeah, I was uh, I was doing the cold shower in the morning. Shut up, Maurice. No, <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know, I stopped, but that, he's right. When you get into that cold shower, man, I, my roommate was thought I was getting, like, attacked or something because I was scrubbed. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you have to, like, almost let the energy out. It's so, it's so prevalent. Yeah, well, that's what we here. do when we all jump in that river. We're like, ah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, we're all, yeah. like, screaming because it's cold, you know. Like, it's, you know, and you do the thing, your body's shaking, you know, and... You know, you look as fit as you've ever been because your body's completely sucked in. Yeah. And, uh, well, we won't go there, but. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss? Uh, oh, nothing. We were just chatting. Maury's cracking a few. Guy jokes. Yeah. Um, no, we were just talking about how when we jump in the river, we're all like, yeah, yeah. You know, we're screaming and, you know, it's uh, everybody's shaking and, our, you know, your body completely sucks in and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm to be, I'm weird though. I like cold things. Like I keep my place at 69 degrees, yeah, summer, really. winter. I like sleeping in cold weather. You know, I like being yep. jumping into bed and it, you know, shaking a little bit before falling asleep. I don't know. I'm weird like that though. Yeah. That's like the, that's the number one problem I have with, uh, with sleeping with my girl. I don't know if you have that problem, Mike, cause I, that body just radiates. I like to be cold too. When I sleep, mm-hmm. <laughs> body radiates. Yeah. It's, um, and it's cool that yoga kind of helps us, uh, and will Ayurveda really, um, it kind of helps us to understand that with the doshas, because whenever somebody's hot natured, it's usually they're a pitta, and then there's all kinds of attributes that go with that. Um, and then somebody's cold natured, um, uh, which, you know, some people are always cold. Some people are always hot. Mm. I'm always hot too. And so I like cold places. I like dry, cold areas, uh, mm. like Colorado. Mm. It's one of my uh, favorite cities. Uh, states too i love that yeah yeah louisiana not so much yeah (laughs) i mean i you know grew up in michigan i live in chicago now um but i like four seasons i mean if i ever yeah i would i guess i would live in like florida or texas or something but it wouldn't be it it would have to be for like a sweet job or something you know yeah because i I wouldn't i wouldn't just choose that that's not like my natural habitat well, Chicago gets blistering, eh? I mean, it gets hot. It gets cold it, there. During, okay, so during the summer it gets pretty hot, and during the winter it gets pretty cold. Like we're mm-hmm. from Detroit area, so yeah, it gets a little bit warmer than there. Uh, just like how St. Louis gets a little bit warmer than Chicago in the summertime, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. uh, you do get that, but um, yeah, I just I like that that crisp, cool feeling. It just I've always ran hot, you know, ever since playing yeah. football and lacrosse and baseball, you know, in high school and just getting. You know, just I think that carried over to the rest of my life, to be honest with you. I don't know. Yeah, what temperature man. do you keep your house, Ben? Uh, I don't even have a house right now, to be honest with you guys. I'm sitting here in my in my mom's house. <laughs> well, it's, it is the holidays. So, it you is know. the holidays. Yeah, um, I, I like to keep, if I have a, uh, an option, I like to keep the temperature relatively low. And also, and that contributes a lot. So a kind of mellow cold exposure uh you know around 60 65 degrees even that for a long period of time is just as beneficial surprisingly as 10 to 20 seconds in freezing cold water um and so it's actually beneficial to have your your thermostat down uh turn low 
Mm-hmm. I keep my house at 68, so maybe I'll tap it a couple degrees lower and see, <laughs> see what develops. Yeah. Um, so when you – let's talk a little bit about uh, – like what kind of music when you do like these, is there music being played? Is there music? Um, is there people playing music? Like what's going on in terms of like music? Cause I, um, I would assume during some of these ceremonies or things that you have something going on. Uh, yeah, we actually do like full spectrum 30 instrument sound baths at the retreats. We do some like really, um, sound baths that I've worked really hard over the past couple of years to kind of refine and curate. Um, we also do different, um, exercises like vocal awakenings, uh, and vocal toning. Um, so people can connect with their voice more. And so, uh, this is, you know, to enjoy singing in the shower and maybe even going on and singing in front of people and also to better express oneself. You know, somebody has so much more confidence whenever their throat is open Mm. after singing a mantra, you know, 120 times. Mm. Um, and so during the vocal awakenings, it's, you know, kirtan style call and repeat. And then we'll do some different polyphonic practices. Well, some people sing this, some people sing that, and we blend it together and create harmony. Um, any like binaural beat type stuff happening too? Yeah. Okay. So during the sonic neural breath work, uh, basically what you have, and this is what I've coined my, um, transformational breath work style. Um, and the reason I've coined it that is because because of that, because you use theta frequencies, so kind of a binaural beat uh, theta frequency that's constantly uh, going at about eight uh, eight hertz per second. So it sounds like whoa, 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 and this is the 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 same state whenever you're in this deep theta state um, in the brain then you're able to access that state of rest and digest, that state of uh, natural innate healing that the body does. Um, And so that's playing underneath the music that is also this music I've designed, this one large track that's, you know, 10 to 12 songs Hmm. um, that is designed to create the arc for your journey on the transformational breath. I've made some Uh, meditation tracks for our channel and, that is hard. It's harder than people think to cultivate. And I mean, I've recorded bands, recorded my own bands. Mm-hmm. I'm great with MIDI controllers, guitars, keyboards, all the stuff. And to get that nice, that, that, that sweeping pan, you know, and then go up and down with it. It's, it's, it's easier, you know, said yeah. than done. Said than done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. I just made a new transformational. I, I keep calling it transformational breath work, but it's not transformational breath work. That's just the name for it. I just made a new breath work, uh, track and it's called uh sounds of gaia because it utilizes a lot of different uh natural sounds like the ocean the forest Mm. uh, natural instruments and yeah i just absolutely love it and and being able to create stuff like that i've created music for my meditations uh guided meditations um i'll play like rav pan and shavasana um, but I play about 30 instruments mm. and just, you know, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, not a master of any of them, um, but can play them and, and play them intentionally. And I understand music in a way and in a way that it, and it lines up with the body. Um, and so how the different notes C through B uh, lines up with the root to the crown chakra right. and, and what different instruments resonate in those spaces, like something like 
water dripping from the hands for the sacral chakra or playing the guitar and strings for the heart chakra um and so yeah there's a lot of music being played it's not the type of music that we talked about earlier <laughs> before the look podcast. that's i think that's similar though i mean i could make correlations to that and the kind of music that you're talking about and then like yeah. meditation music that we've created in the sense that you know like our favorite bands the grateful dead and fish what they do with their music obviously it's improv but they mm-hmm. they use tension and release and they bring it up and then they bring it down and if anybody's been to a fish show or been to a dead show yeah. there is a collective consciousness consciousness thing happening in oh, yeah. in the crowd you know watch any live fish go watch a live fish concert right now on youtube Mm -hmm. and everybody's going nuts in the crowd everybody's dancing it's something like you've never experienced before so there's like this Mm -hmm. ultimate thing happening that i can kind of probably correlate to you know like i said the other stuff that you're doing but it's different it's probably it's a lot more mellow obviously yeah Uh, um, it's a lot more mellow which which is you know a little bittersweet for me because i love jamming right (laughs) and so yeah like at the moment i'm looking for more opportunities to jam as well to kind of get that musical balance because in the the retreats it's it's more along the lines of um healing mm-hmm. and a lot of the times with the healing uh the best way to create that um environment for someone um, is to do it with nice gentle approach and the same thing there's tension and release but it's um, it's much more gentle, mm-hmm. so that people can stay in that state of rest and digest. Because when you're in that state, man, it's magical in the sense that the body takes care of itself, the body heals itself, the body intuitively knows exactly what it needs to do um, as soon as the prefrontal cortex shuts the hell up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, I don't really even. Uh, I used to be a big cannabis guy. I used to drink a lot of booze and stuff. I kind of gave all that up, but. Mm-hmm. I actually look at music as a drug because when I'm sitting at my computer, instead of firing up a bowl now, I just put on some tunes, and that I definitely can feel that raising my vibration. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when you look at you know what we're talking about, like music and vibrations and different things, um, what do you think's happening when? You know, you meditate, for instance, okay, my favorite track that I meditate to is, I think it's 528 Hertz on Mm -hmm. Meditative Mind YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. It's this really, I like the flow of it throughout the whole thing. I could meditate a couple hours to this thing. Um, Do you think that that has an impact on the experience in the sense that, like, do you think the vibrations of the music um, in some way, not necessarily manipulate, but like alter what's going on in the meditation experience? I would say yes. Um, You know, we are, in a sense, frequency. Um, We are energy. We are vibration. And so if we get into a deep meditative space with um, a particular energy, frequency, vibration, playing in our ears, you know, right next to the the mainframe here. Right. it makes sense for us to kind of fall into harmony or adapt kind of around that frequency. And so for that frequency to influence us, the more deeply we get into our meditation. Um, And so whatever that frequency is particularly good for, um, then we're going to experience that more fully. I love those tracks. There's 528 hertz, uh, 916, 432. 
there's a ton of really good frequencies out there mm. and and we've been able to in this beautiful time on earth to to take them and pull them into something to create beautiful music around it and have it mass you know distributed mm. it's awesome yeah i love that so, stuff yes. i have a question too so i asked this yeah. to everybody that we have on the show that meditates so when i meditate it's not sit cross-legged you know you know, mm-hmm. the proper position and the breathing. Mine's more of um. I have I have a. We did an episode on it. I forget what episode number it is, but we went through all the different types of meditation that people do and stuff. And then I gave a rundown of my own thing, which is like a hybrid of our grandfather, who was like a visionary uh, inventor who had like an affinity for ancient Egypt and stuff, and he cultivated his own way where he could just like, you know, tap out and go to this alternate place. And I've kind of taken that and tweaked it in a few places for myself and mine's more of like a visionary like get good ideas try and bring something back from it as as opposed to like just kind of getting a peace of mind or kind of just zoning out for a little bit to calm myself Mm so um do you think that people should be doing different types of meditation i guess is what i'm asking or do you think that whatever works works kind of a thing or how, how do you feel about all that I, I would say, you know, I'm I'm quick to say whatever works works. Uh, everybody is so unique. Every individual needs a particular meditation or a particular practice that resonates with them. Um, and the only way to find that, you know, on the other side, the only way to find that is by practicing many different meditations, many different modalities. Um, and there's times where. I'm not remembering to meditate at all for you know several days, mm. and there's times where I'm you know, super strategic about my meditation, you know, first, you know, first things first, I'm going to invoke gratitude and I'm going to send it to four or five people that need it the most. And then I'm going to visualize the next two years and what I just, des- I, I desire with that gratitude in my heart. I'm going to visualize and try to feel it as much as I possibly can. Then I'll surrender it. Then I'll drop into a, a meditation to get into rest and digest. It just depends on, on where I'm at. And so I think, this is a good time to bring up the fact that, um, you know, we're human and by human nature, we're imperfect and we're not going to be able to just have a practice that we're so dialed into that we just make it every day and show up every single day to that practice. If you do amazing, if you don't, you're like the rest of the 99% of us. Mm. And that, um, the most important thing with any practice is do your best to show up. But when you don't have grace, on yourself and and show yourself love and have self-love for yourself because when you do that you're going to prime yourself to be in a better position to to tackle the modality next time and to show up better Um, a lot of people are really hard on themselves whenever they don't show up for their practice every single day and religiously and i don't think that it serves um, i don't think that it serves us but i think it does serve us it got off on a little tangent there i think it does serve us to try different styles of meditation and different practices Mm -hmm. to see what really resonates yeah totally uh second part to that question is so when I start getting deep into the meditation, I experiencing these like fluttering lights that kind of look strobish sometimes and I follow them mm-hmm. and it kind of leads you places if you're in there long enough um, to weird places where I've seen like entities and different times and weird things that uh, mm-hmm. we're talking like two hours. I know some people don't have that much time or don't have the patience or focus or whatever, but I've gone right. deep. Um, 
when what do you think that is? Because I've talked to I've, I've asked sign I've asked Dr. Rick Strassman. He thought it might have to do with these things called phosphenes that are um, correlated with our vision and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, some people mentioned po- possibly hypnagogia. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? And if so, what do you think that is? I I don't. Um, I'm definitely certainly not on the the level of, of scientific research and understanding that someone like Mr. Strassman would be. And, and I would say that if I had to guess, because I do not know if I had to guess, man, the thing is I've seen and experienced and had others experience so many profound visions and deep psychedelic experiences when the prefrontal cortex shuts down, when you have that default mode network shutting down, um, that anything in that space is possible. Mm. So whatever the brain is doing, whatever uh, neurons are firing to create that optical experience where you're you're seeing entities, um, you're experiencing memories visually. Yeah, it's like a closed eye psychedelic experience is what I would mm-hmm. equate it to. Totally. I think that man, it's it's just again a product of our thinking mind and of our ego. Um, taking a back seat or really quieting down. Um, and from there, kind of like when we go into REM sleep and we have these crazy visual experiences, I think it's a similar situation. Hmm. The, the mind is just becoming activated and we're experiencing it as the experience itself hmm. in a way. Before we wind this down and then start a separate uh, Patreon part, I do want to ask you, because anybody that does uh, entheogens or psychedelics, I like talking about what do you think the psychedelic uh, or DMT entities are? Do you think they're external? Do you think that they are part of your subconscious? Do you think, you know, like, what are your thoughts and have you experienced them or had an experience? So I have. Um, and it's, it's, <laughs> I love questions like this because they're, they're, they have so many layers. There's They're no right answer. They don't even know, right. you know, like John Hopkins is, you know, like all these different places are studying it and they have no idea what's going on. So that's why I like asking real totally. psychonauts or people that have tested the limits of their mind to see what their opinion on it is. I would say that, you know, in a sense, what is the difference between it being in our own consciousness and they actually being and those entities actually being a thing outside of our consciousness. Um, the kind of, there's a very fine line of separation there. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we talk about, you know, well, this is a multidimensional being that we're experiencing it, um, is that multidimensionality within our consciousness in thinking perception? Mm-hmm. Um, is that what's able to create it? And so it's tough to say, but I do believe that they're very real. I've experienced them in, in ways that it's like, oh, <laughs> here I am experiencing this entity fully uh, as a separate entity, but also feeling profound sense that we are one and that we are one and the same. Mm. Um, But it's the same entities that have been, uh, you know, you'll read about on a forum or that you'll hear about in a podcast. It's the same little machine elves that Terrence McKenna talks about. Um, And when you experience them, you know, right there in front of you, um, it's very hard to deny because I guess all you really have is statistical data. Right. And whenever enough people have that experience, that's a real thing. Yeah. What is Ter- whatever that means? <laughs> yeah. What, what is Terrence? T- Terrence and Dennis McKenna have both said at different times, kind of like 
well, if it happened, it's real. Now, can you take something from that or bring something back to this reality and use it for knowledge or your benefit or, you know, some peace of mind or something, Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's, that's where I stress again, in DMT is a picture show compared to 5-methyloxy-DMT. 5-MeO-DMT is the experiential version of the Godhead. It is um, everything that you may uh, see in a trip with NNDMT. Um, imagine that times hundreds and being completely experiential. Um, and that's why, you know, if I want to have an ex- a visual experience uh, like that, I will do D- NNDMT or um, uh, do mushrooms or LSC. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it's been explained to me what, so like 5-MEO similar. I've talked to one person that would talk about it with me that had a real near-death experience and also yeah. has used 5-MEO, and they said 5-MEO is closer to it than NN-DMT in the sense that it's more like white light hyperspacey out of your body kind of a thing while yeah. NN is more like you said like fractal tryptamine mm-hmm. you know geometric it's patterns very yeah it's very visual when the in when the 5 meo is very experiential and the 5 meo is extremely therapeutic and while the NN DMT can be as well uh the 5 meo is really the medicine that's very therapeutic to the point where it's a totally different thing than mm-hmm. NN. They just share. The yeah, it's crazy. And this this little beautiful toads just you know just <laughs> cranking <laughs> this thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Very I mean, they crazy. you know synthetic. You know, I would assume at some point it would just people would get away from the actual toad extraction and go synthetic mm-hmm. with it just to preserve. You know, I don't yeah. know how if they're. I know that the numbers have dwindled from things that I've read of the the yep. Sonoran toad, but I don't know exactly, you know, what's going on there. But I'm always, I'm a big animal lover. I can't even watch, you know. Earlier in my life, I've been hunting a couple times, but now looking back, it's like I don't need to be doing, you know, this right. whole thing. Right. It's, and it's it's I'm not against it either. You know, like mm-hmm. I've family and friends that go do whatever hunting and i'm fine with it it's just me personally i just i'll swerve out of the way for a chipmunk and a squirrel you know like that kind of, of course thing, so well and, you obviously and, didn't pay attention in uh <laughs> driver's ed when they said the squirrel must die <laughs> <laughs> and that that's the thing to keep in mind is that a lot of people whenever they have this experience with the toad they automatically feel called to work with it because mm-hmm. it's just the it, it's very um, invoking of inspiration. Um, and it's important to remember that if you do choose to work with this medicine and eventually choose to even facilitate it, that you are getting your medicine from a really good source. Um, and a good source would look like a small ethical farm that preys with the toads that only milks half of the toads venom so that it also has a defense mechanism. It carries that defense mechanism and, the money goes back into instead of the cartels, which are very active in that game, um, goes back into the restoration of the farm. Um, and so that's who we choose to work with. That's who we um, have relationships with. And, and to be honest, right? Like, oh, if you're ever in doubt, you know, test your stuff. I mean, we we would, mm-hmm. you know, you go to like a fish concert and they have testing booths, and you go to like Bonnaroo or one of these jam. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. festivals and they have testing tents and stuff like that. Always test your stuff though. You know, we've mm-hmm. had, we've lost friends, um, to, you know, 
I'm not going to go deep into it, but yeah, things, things that are, you know, laced and spiked and different things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you got to be really careful. And these are, these are not, you know, these are powerful tools and resources and you got to treat them with the proper reverence. And also the toad is to be treated with really powerful reverence because of the fact that you can asphyxiate on your own vomit whenever you do this medicine and die. And so making sure that you do it with an experienced sitter or facilitator is really important. Mm. Super important. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So let's, let's, if you want to plug anything again, everybody can go check out, uh, connect and evolve with.com, which is your website. I have the link down below. And then you have your retreats where if they go to connect and evolve, uh, com slash retreats, retreats, they can learn more about it. And I'm actually updating that page within the next two to three days. So we just had the October 16th, I'm sorry, the, uh, um, December 16th through 20th retreat. And so that's at the top of the page. And the next one is February 2nd through the 7th, which we're working on. And that one's halfway full already. And it's going to be in Sedona as well. Um, and then the rest of the retreats will be there as well. So everybody can learn more about them. Awesome. And yeah, also that's Sedona, baby. Check out his, uh, Instagram as well. I have the link down below the video, uh, there. And one more time, uh, go to indrasweb.org and sign up to get an alert when the app goes live. This is the app again that we created for rational discourse. I'm going to be making it go live for the new year. And, uh, you know, we're going to get as many people in there as possible. So spread the word, tell your friends, tell your family, anybody that's interested in any of the topics we discuss on this podcast, you know, get them on there. So, uh, also, Also, Oh, go ahead. I wanted to, I wanted to say, I wanted to offer everyone, I forgot about this earlier. I wanted to offer everyone, um, that's listening to the podcast, uh, a 50% off of the breathwork course that we just produced. It's five days to kind of breathwork mastery. So basically it's for people, um, it's perfect for Mike. If you wanted to go from shit, I'm tired of breathing through my mouth to being confident breathing through your nose into your belly and also having, uh, multiple different, uh, practices, techniques that you can use at any time. You can start your morning routine with them. You can use the trauma release at any time. And so I think it's a hundred bucks at 50% off. And so literally all they have to do do is go to connectandevolve.com and then click breathwork and it'll take them directly to the course. There's also a drop down menu with all of the different breathwork practices that we're talking about where they can access that for free. Awesome. Sounds good yep. to me. Um, and one more time also with the Patreon, we are going to about to do a Patreon segment with Ben here where we're going to go over some basic breathing exercises and techniques, and you can be a part of that for just $2 a month. You can become a mind escapee on discord as well. If you don't know what discord is, it's, um, it's an app where people, you know, it's like a messenger app and, you know, people chat and share things on there. And, uh, we're trying to build a community on there as well. Uh, also if you're interested, people send me emails. They want to know when's your next episode, who's your next guest. Cause you know, this is all improv. We pick, you know, the days and the times we don't do it, you know, Tuesday at eight o'clock every week or anything like that. It just kind of comes up and we, that's how we do this show. So if you're interested, I started a new tab, uh, called upcoming shows and guests. So if you're interested, go onto our discord, start chatting, start talking to people. Uh, let's get this thing going. And uh, we still have shirts available if anybody's interested. Um, they can go to our website under contact us and send me an email, and I'll figure out a way to get you a shirt. 
Um, also, yeah, we got all the different tiers there, as you can see on Patreon. So again, patreon.com slash podcast. For $2 a month, you'll get tons of exclusive content. And then we have different tiers from there if you're interested. So, all right. Awesome. And, uh, oh, if you want to make it easy, just go to mindescapepodcast.com. We've got all the links on there as well. So, um, but listen, dude, this was awesome. And uh, we appreciate you. We'll have you back out in the future for sure again. And uh, um, lots of cool topics. And you obviously have done your homework with all the breath stuff and you're living through experiencing and going, you know, through experiences and going on adventures and doing all this awesome stuff while also doing these retreats. So if anybody's mm-hmm. interested, again, go to his website and check those out. But, uh, I want to wish everybody a happy holiday. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> everybody stay safe out there. We love everybody. And, uh, just let's try and spread some love and joy this year. Let's turn this thing around. So gratitude. Thank you guys for having me on. All Thanks right. for joining us, my man. Absolutely. And to all a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. Peace. <laughs>